0: John chapter 14, if you haven't turned there already, go ahead and turn there, John chapter 14, and I'll go ahead and pray. Lord, it is to you that we call. You are our rock, dear Lord, do not be deaf to us. For if you are silent to us, God, we will be like those who go down to the pit. Lord, we ask you to hear the voice of our prayers and our supplications. God, it is to you that we cry for help when we lift our hands towards you in your sanctuary. Blessed be the Lord, because you have heard and you always will hear the voice of our prayers and our supplications, and it is you, O Lord, That is our strength and our shield and our hope and our heart will trust in you and in you alone, God. And we ask that you would make known the glory of your son to us in this time, that we would trust in nothing else but in your Son. God, that we would not seek another path to you apart from your Son, but God, that we would come and joyfully lay all that we have, lay it down at the foot of the cross, lay it down before you so that you would be glorified in all things. Amen. the cause to end slavery is worth dying for. Such was the thought, we'll do another little Tonic family history intro, such was the thought of my great-great-grandfather, yes, great-great-grandfather, Alexander Freeland, when he's back home in the motherland, and he sees the Civil War unfolding and unraveling here in the States. And he thought he was a Christian man, a devout Christian man. And he thought it was abhorrent, abhorrent that one man would own another. So he got on a boat, sailed across the pond, and enlisted to fight in the northern side. And he left his homeland, but he promised them that he would come back. And that's exactly what he did. By God's grace, he made it through the war. He fought under General Sherman. And he made it through the war. And he, through his toil and through his blood, prepared a a place for his bride. He goes back to the homeland, gets his bride, Helen. They're married, king of Norway. Rumor has it, attends their wedding. He himself being an abolitionist in recognition of all that he had done. And they come, sail back to America and settle. Such a a glorious thing. It's the same thing that we see in our text here. That Christ is with his disciples, but he is going to leave them, but he promises them, no, no, I will come back. I will come back again and I will take you to myself. That where I am, there you will also be. And Alexander and Helen settled and they were together forever. Christ is going back to the Father for the purpose of preparing a place for his bride, for his church. And he will come back again and he will will take them to himself. But the question is, who's them? In the text, you're going to see it that it's those who believe. Those who believe are going to be brought back with Christ up into heaven, back into the presence of God the Father to live with them forever. So that's the main point of our text here is that we must believe in God and in Christ, one and the same. Can't separate them. We must believe in God and Christ. You're going to, how are you going to see that? Well, you're going to see belief for the troubled heart. Belief for the troubled heart in verses 1 through 4. And then verses 5 through 7, you see Thomas's response. And that Christ responds to him saying, No, I alone am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one will come to the Father except through me. You're going to see the exclusivity of Christ in response to Thomas's question. After that, we have Philip, who's a little bit different than Thomas, but also you're going to see his response then as well. And Christ telling him that Christ is in the Father, and the Father is in Christ. And we'll look a little bit at that, what that means. And then finally, you're going to look at verses 12 through the end here. It's quite a bit of text we're going to get through. Verses 12 through 14. If this is true, what does it look like in my life? If Christ is in the Father, and the Father is in Christ, and Christ is in me, and I am in Christ, what does that mean for me? What does my life look like then? So, main idea, I want you to dwell on, delight in over this upcoming week, is that you must, you should, you ought to, it's the only way of life, is to believe in God. Believe fully in Christ. Christ. That belief comes in the midst of sorrow for those who have troubled hearts. We're going to see the exclusivity of Christ. Christ in the Father and then the Father in us and what that looks like in our own lives. What's still happening here in the context of Christ and the disciples celebrating the the Passover supper. Judas has been revealed as the one who would betray them. Even though he's been with them since the beginning, he's the one who will betray them. And Christ makes it known by handing a morsel of bread this act of love. He identifies Judas and Satan enters into Judas and then Judas leaves the scene to go rot the deed of shame. Now everything has been put in motion And now it is the moment, it is the time for the Son of Man to be glorified. And he will be glorified on the cross. And this glorious love that God God the Father has had with Christ from all of eternity, glorifying one another, Christ has translated that down into love towards us. And then we carry that love on, glorifying God as we love one another. We covered that last week. And it is Christ who has called them to follow him. And it is Christ who has called them to deny themselves, to pick up their cross and follow him. it is Christ who has called them to leave everything and to be with him. And though they can't leave him, he has just told them that he will leave them. So now you see the need of comfort that is here given to the disciples. All of their, everything of their hope, Christ has told them that He is leaving. And then we get to the, our verses for this week. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many Many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back again, and I will take you to myself that where I am, there you may also be. And you, you know the way to where I am going. How wise is Christ to to know our weaknesses. He's still with them at that very moment, but the thought, just this lingering thought that he will not be with them has brought trouble into their hearts, as it should for you. As you contemplate some degree of separation from Christ, some degree of separation from God, it should cause great trouble within your heart. Don't Don't grow callous by any means. Some of you are quite fine with it. The further away, the better. Just let me do what I want. No, your heart should be troubled. It's about the only reason your heart should be troubled is when you contemplate a separation between you and God. But for those who love and cherish and follow Christ, the very thought of him being distant, It disassembles and deconstructs all of our hearts. So then what's the remedy? Christ gives it to. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Christ must go. But this this separation between them and him will be bridged by belief. It's the only, it's clear and it's given to you in the text and it's not some glib thing. That's your only solution is that you must believe in God, that you must believe in Christ. Your problems are the same problem that the disciples had, which is in separation from God. How are you going to remedy that? Xanax? Is that what's going to do it for you? No. All of our struggles with addiction. The answer is believing in God. That he is our only comfort. If we have anxiety, our only solution is a deeper and fuller and richer belief in God. All all of counseling, I shouldn't dabble in these waters, but I'll say it anyways. All of counseling can be summed up in this. Where do you have those pockets of unbelief within your life? And have the light of Christ shine in on those pockets of unbelief and root it out. Notice also what Christ is revealing. Believe in God, believe also in me. This, this idea of believing, it's, it's not as though it's new to the New Testament, but in the Old Testament, it's all about works. All about works. They had to do the right thing. No, it was always about belief. Genesis 15. Abraham believed and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Exodus chapter 4. Moses writes, when Aaron spoke all these words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did all the signs in the sight of the people, what happened? The people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction after believing, then they bowed their heads and they castrate themselves down into worship. So, God the Father, then, is in Christ, is our only object. It's not as though we have two separate objects of, of worship. Believe in God and then believe also in Christ. We're going to add Christ on. No, it's one in the same. This is the great revelation that Christ is giving them. Is that Christ is the object of their faith throughout this whole time? It was always about Christ. It's all one and the same. Not two different faiths, not two different objects, but one. So to believe in God is to believe in Christ, and to believe in Christ is then to believe in God. Christ will go and prepare a place for them. You see in verse 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back again and take you to myself, that where I am, there you may also be. Christ is going to prepare a place for them in a way that only he can. He's not going up there to vacuum floors and fluff pillows and do stuff like that. No, that's not it. Christ is the great high priest. We'll come up into the true temple, of which the earthly temples are just a a shadow, a figure pointing to this true heavenly temple. Christ is going into this true heavenly temple and presenting himself as the sacrifice. As the priest would enter and sprinkle, you see this in Hebrews 9, it's depicted also in Exodus 24. Perhaps the priest will go in and scatter the blood upon the altar within the Holy of Holies to prepare the temple and the tabernacle. Hebrews 9 says that Christ is doing the same thing when he enters into the true Holy of Holies with his own blood. That is how he's preparing a place for him, us. But Christ, the author of Hebrews writes, but when Christ appeared as, as a high priest of the good things that have come, and through a greater and more perfect tent, not made by hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once and for all into the Holy of Holies, not by means of blood of goats or calves, but by the means of his own blood. That's how Christ is preparing a place for you. Thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of blood defiles a persons, sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer, sanctify and purify the flesh. How much more? So if that works well, how much more then? With the blood of Christ. Not sanctify us and purify us, who through the eternal spirit offered himself through a, without blemish before God, purifying our conscience from the dead works to serve the living God. So Christ has gone and prepared a place for you by offering his own blood. And he continues to hold on to that by interceding for you. This very moment, Christ is interceding for you. So Christ has told them that, that they must believe. But Thomas... and Christ told them that they must believe and that he's going to prepare a place for them. And Thomas is much like me and he doesn't quite get it. And he has a response here. And you're going to see the exclusivity of Christ. But let's look at verse 5 here. 5 through 7. Thomas said to him, Lord... No, we do not know uh, where you are going. How can we know the way? Verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. We're going to look a little bit at at Thomas and and Philip. But let's look at Thomas here. Thomas, I think, is well-intentioned. But you look at his response, when he pointed this out to me, you look at this response and it's, it's not a relationship. Christ is talking about relational things. Believe in me, the it's it's relationship. I'm gonna go prepare a place for you. And Thomas just kind of steps side, steps side and goes, he just wants the process. Give me the process. Where are we going? Bethsaida? No. Capernaum? No, okay, Galilee in general, where are we going? We'll follow you. Christ's response is is beautiful. He says, no, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one will come to the Father except through me. This is both... Exclusive, You see that Christ is the exclusive way, the only way, exclusive and, and exhaustive in his way to get to God. And this is not true. You're back in John chapter 2. It was the first thing he told them right before the wedding in Cana? Truly, truly, I say to you, the, you will see the... The heavens opening and the angels of God descending and descending on the Son of Man. Christ has told them already that I am the means to go to heaven. This is not not new at all. Okay, so you see that Christ is is the way, and this is glorious, beautiful. It has its roots reaching all the way back to Genesis. All the way back. So you have Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve in the garden. And they're told, obviously, don't, don't eat of this tree of knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat of that tree. But of course, what do they do? They make a beeline, boom, right for it. There's the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and they can't help themselves. They don't, maybe they don't want to sin right away, but boy, they sure like to be tempted, right? You know what that feels like. So they just go a little bit closer, a little bit closer, and soon enough, they're within close, they're in proximity, and they can grasp it. Well, why not just grab it? What harm would that have? And then before they know it, they have eaten it, and they have have both eaten of it. They chose death over life, and they ate the fruit. And this is the result End of chapter, chapter three. So he, so God, drove the man out and at the east of the garden of Eden he stationed the cherubim and the flaming swords which turned every direction to guard the way, the way, to guard the way to the tree of life. Now, cry, now, now you have Adam and Eve with this great dilemma. That is the... The dilemma undergirding all of religion: How is man going to get back into the presence of God? How shall they do it? They just left that way, but now they can't return and go back in because there's a chairman there with a flaming sword. Even if you can't articulate it, that's 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 truly what you want: is to come back into the presence of God. Because you know where I'm at isn't ideal. This isn't it. Why do you think addiction is so tempting? Even if you you know where I'm at is not it. I'll do anything to get out of here. Christ, he is the way. the way to get back into the presence of God, the way to relieve all of your anxiety, all of your struggling. Christ alone is the way. And This way that we read during, worship is, or during the call to worship is also brought up in Isaiah, chapter 35. And the, and the highway shall be there. This is when all the people of God are returning back to Zion, and the highway shall be there and it shall be called the way of holiness, and the unclean shall not pass over it, it shall belong to those who walk on the way. The way for us is not just to strive. The only way to get back to God is through Christ and through Christ alone. But what about this flaming sword? Isaac Watts, the the father of English hymns, 1675 to 1750, he lived one of his hymns. He put it this way. Blessed be the lamb, my dearest Lord, who bought me with his blood and quenched his father's flaming sword with his own vital blood. This flaming sword was quenched in the sacrifice of Christ that we can go back to God. So Christ is the only mediator, the only means by which we can come back into the presence of God. Paul writes it this way, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men. That is the man, Jesus Christ. So he's not only the way, but he is the truth. He's the revelation of, of divine reality. That is Christ. And the full revelation of God the Father. So we don't use truth. How do you judge up Christ? We don't use truth to measure Christ. To say, is that true or not? Can I believe in him or not? No. Christ is the one who dictates what truth is. So if you're doubting about Christ, realize you are not the judge of him. He is the judge of you. And he is the life. Adam and Eve were promised that the moment you eat of this tree, you will surely die. And the only anecdote to death is obviously, is life. In him was life and the life was the light of men. So we've seen that Christ here is the, is the object of our faith. For you who have troubling hearts, remember that Christ is the object of our faith. And he alone is the way by which we can get back to the Father. That's it. Now we're going to see Philip's response, which is a little bit different than Thomas's. Let's read here in verse eight. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. Show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words which I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me, I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe in the account of the works themselves. Do you notice how Philip's response is a little bit different than Thomas's? Thomas is just flat ignorance, but he's curious, he wants to know. Philip, Philip's looking for a way around it, isn't he? Jesus has just said, I alone am the way. I am the way. Believe in me. And Philip goes, just come on. Just show us the Father. Enough of this Jesus stuff. Okay, it's been fun with you. But come on, just, just give it to me straight. Don't cut it down. Just give it to me straight. Let's see the Father. As Joel, Joel said, he's proposing alternatives A shortcut, a shortcut to bypass the eyes of faith. That's like all of us, we'll try any path, but the path of humble faith. We want religion apart from Christ, but I know, you know this is impossible. So Jesus says, how can you say, show me the Father when I'm standing right here before you? I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. All right, let's, let's look at that. One God, three persons. One God. Let's not be heretics here, okay? One God, three persons. Three separate persons persons, one unified God. This is not a blending together of these persons, of the the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is not a a blending together of these. Because he's saying, I and the Father are one. So obviously they're separate. But it's the nature, so their essence is their substance. The very essence of God that makes up God the Father is the same as the essence that makes up Jesus Christ the Son. So that Christ is able to say, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. But even if that is not enough, he says, believe on the account of the works themselves. That will surely be enough, won't it? You're out of excuses, quite frankly. If you're wrestling with your doubts of believing in Christ, you're out of excuses. You can look at the words of Christ and you know this man is God. You can look at the works and what he has done and then you also know this man is God. There is no way around it. But our glorious Christ So what does it look like then? If Christ is unified with the Father, in unity with the Father, let's look then at these last verses to see our union with Christ and what happens here. Verse 12, "'Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me "'will also do the works that I do, "'and greater, greater works than these will he do, "'because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Don't get your hopes up. This isn't uh, a name it and claim it uh, prosperity. I say so you can anything you want to ask for. Just tack on this, you know, in Jesus' name, and it's you know God's going. Oh man, he's got me. Okay, here it is. You've exposed my weakness. No, my Achilles heel to your greed. No, that's, that's not it. Think about it. Christ has just said that he is one with the Father and that the Father is, is one with him. I am in the Father and the Father is in me. What's the extension here? You're God the Father and Christ is in him and Christ is doing the works of the Father. We who believe, those who are of faith, are one with Christ. So wouldn't it make sense that the works of the Father that Christ is doing, if we are in Christ, would we not be also doing the works of the Father? Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's laid out there then before you. And you just wonder, well, what is this work? Well, skip, uh, skip the chapter break, go up a couple verses, and you see. What are the works they're talking about? It's just a couple breaths before, it's the same dialogue. Is that you love one another? Greater works than these will he do. The, the total sum of, of the Church of God, the Body of Christ. Christ ministered; it's around thirty three years. Ministered for three. The Church of God, the, now the Body of Christ, has been ministering for thousands of years, enabled by the same Spirit of Christ, which you as well are enabled by, if you believe. You are filled with the spirit of the living God. Isn't this a glorious thing? And you are free to do this. So yeah, whatever you want to ask for in God's name. When you're asking him, God, how can I do the works of the Father that I've seen displayed in the, in the life of Christ? Can I do these in my own life? Is God going to withhold that from you? The very thing that was glorifying the Father and the Son from eternity past. Is he going to withhold that from you? Hell, no, no, no. Heavens, no. He will gladly give that to you. That you may spend your life loving other believers. That's a glorious thing. So, what does this look like? What does this look like? If this is true... What does this look like? For the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ to work this out in my heart. Number one. It's right from the text. Let not your hearts be troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. If you want to be anxious, right, now is a fantastic time to be alive. It's it's great, right? (laughs) This, this civilization, this edifice of civilization that has been around for a little while is now crumbling before our eyes. They're going after your kids and they're not even hiding it anymore. And this religious war that's been going on for 1,400 years now is now being fought with nuclear-powered uh, countries. That's great. Let not your heart. hearts be troubled several miscarriages in this church over the last couple of months let not your hearts be troubled just last week one of us diagnosed with cancer in the midst of that let not your hearts be troubled Some of you are getting things in order and preparing for the end to come as you see your body failing. Let not your hearts be troubled. Sin has corrupted everything. So the problem can be anywhere. But the solution is always the same. Believing in God, it's believing in Christ. There, there can't be. What other antidote could there possibly be? There is none. But by believing in Christ and being unified with him and being one in Christ, as Christ is one in the Father. So a troubled heart can only find peace in Christ that is built upon our union with him. So number one, let not your hearts be troubled. Uh, Number two, be unapologetic. Be unapologetic and be clear about the gospel. Christ has said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But then he even clarified it. No one, no one comes to the Father except through me. Christianity is, is exclusive and it's inclusive. It's the incredibly exclusive. There is no other way but through Christ. And it's an incredibly narrow road and it's one way and it's only Christ. Not good works. Not the 300 million gods of Hinduism. Not Buddha. Buddha is a way to hell. It's not Muhammad. Muhammad is a way to hell. Not your good works. Your good works are a way to hell. Don't stand back and be silent. You can't. How can you stand back and be silent when you see people going to hell all around you and you know there is only one way? And it's only through Christ. Be unapologetic in that. Maybe it's not popular, that's fine. Be unapologetic that Christ and Christ alone is the only way. So it's exclusive, but it's also the most inclusive religion anywhere. Doesn't matter your ethnic background, it doesn't matter your social condition. No, anyone, as Joel says, the prophet says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So brothers and sisters, be unapologetic and clear about sharing the gospel and proclaiming the gospel. Finally, surrender your life to Christ and believe in him. And just stop it with all the objections. I'm not good enough. Well, Moses was a murderer, okay? Peter was denying. Christ can save anyone. And stop it with the objections. There's there's jihadists fighting right now who, if they turn to Christ, they would be saved. How much more shall you, sitting here right now, some of you come up with these objections again and again and again. Like Thomas in pleading ignorance or Philip trying to find another way. Maybe having, holding on a little bit to our former life and a little bit that of Christ and you wanna have both. No, Christ said, I am the only way. Why would you try to hold on to the world when you can have all of Christ? Submit everything to Christ. Surrender all of your life to Christ. Believe in him and put all of your trust in him and in him alone. All of your hopes, all of your desires, surrender them to Christ and to Christ alone. Because the only thing that matters is that he has gone to prepare a place for his people, for those who believe. And he will come back again and he will draw us to himself by where he is there we may also be. Let's pray. God, the, the riches of your Son, we we, we, cannot, we, can't fathom what all we have in your Son. God, we ask that you would hold us until these, these eyes of faith can be Holding you face to face, God, and through all, all of eternity, God, it can be a continued revelation of the beauty of your Son, of who He is, and the work that He has accomplished, God. But until then, hold us, keep us, God. If our eyes are blind, pull your hands, pull your blinding hand off our eyes, and that we would surrender to your Son and let go of everything in this world. And God, let us as a church comfort one another, who are troubled in heart, those who are suffering this moment. And God, let us as a people of God be clear and bold in the joy to proclaim that it is through your son and through your son alone that people can trust and believe in you and have all of our filthy sins washed away. God, let us put down the scrub brush and just trust in your son and know that by his sacrifice, we are made clean. And all God's people said, amen.